Welcome, dear listener, to this Season 3 of Weekend at Crombies. In this, our January episode, Episode 1, we'll be looking at The Secret of My Success. Welcome, dear listener, to our third year of Weekend at Crombie's, where two gentlemen philosophers take a deep dive into forgotten and overlooked films. I'm Hugh, and uh, might I say, James, that I've had a lot of fun on this podcast. You have all this energy, all these crazy ideas, and you keep taking your pants off. (laughs) Thank you, Hugh, and uh, my name is James Evans, Esquire, and I'd like to say that I want this job i need it i can do it everywhere i've been today there's always been something wrong too young too old too short too tall whatever the exception is i can fix it i can be older i can be taller i can be anything i can't be a minority woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah the secret was the secret of my success the secret of my success your second pick in a row so you're having quite the run we should say we've reversed the uh the, the order in which we choose uh, in a merry time of misrule so um for for this year james will be having the odd numbered months and i'll be having the even ones we like to keep things fresh this fresh. is this is this is as innovative as we get <laughs> <laughs> there'll be nothing new else in this year no mind blown already um so uh, <laughs> sh- shall we begin james yeah, tell we, us, let, let, let's open up on the secret of my success which was yeah. made in 1987? 1987. It's as 1987 as it gets. Yeah, it, it really is. It's the the height the height of Reagan era um, filmmaking, certainly. Um, the so, whitest of sneakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think this is peak Michael J. Fox as well, perhaps. Um, but we, we we might come on to that. So um, yes, yeah. We, we, obviously, Michael J. Fox stars in The Secret of My Success. He stars as Brantley Foster. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a stupid name. Brantley Foster. Brantley Foster. Who, Brantley Foster, who is uh, um, a fresh-faced graduate from, uh, I think it's Kansas Kansas State University, I think? Or, well, yeah, or we, we say he, he is a, a Kansas farm boy, and I'll just about saying Michael J. Fox is the least likely Kansas farm boy you can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, and he the, makes the nothing start... to, to moderate his uh, kind of his um, California accent or style, yeah. and it looks the, like he'd run a mile from a cow. The start of the film is uh, a series of kind of vox pops with um, with Brantley's parents talking about to camera about yeah. their um, their concern about their son going to, As to New, New York, York City. <laughs> yeah, New York City. Yeah, I like the fact you've done a New Jersey accent then to represent Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was saying New York City to represent New York, but it's still still New Jersey. I appreciate. Um, to all our American listeners, I apologise. Um, yeah, so he's he's a he's a, a, a you know all American farm boy, uh, yeah. graduate of Kansas State University. He's um, he's not I quite clear. That, sorry, to jump in the vox pops, do you think that was deliberately stylized to be like American Gothic? Mm. Oh, the, right. the, the, the painting because it, it had you know the uh, the farmer the laconic farmer and the uh, the his wife the, yeah. basically f- face on side by side. Definitely, I think I think there's yeah, it's definitely nods to that, isn't there? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, and they just say why why does he want to go New York City? He wants to see the world. <laughs> 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 um, but but yeah, to, but apart from the vox pops, you then get 
uh, an opening sequence. And my, my first note about the film was, you just don't get opening sequences like this anymore. It's um, it's the uh, it's Michael J. Fox in in New York City. He literally gets off the bus. And oh, yeah. It's like a montage, isn't it? There's there's there's, yeah, there's montages of all kinds of New York City, and especially like here is the city like there's punk rockers and there's yeah. supermodels and yeah. there's people in the street just doing crazy things like i don't know dancing around fire hydrants yeah. and, uh, yeah. and, it, and it's, it's the chrysler building he <laughs> <Yes>. has <laughs> a pizza really on the ground <laughs> yeah his 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 is a clip of lots of men in suits crossing a bridge yeah. he is for yeah, yes <laughs> he is for supermodels one of which is cindy crawford yeah winking yeah. and it, it cuts to michael j fox clearly somewhere else <laughs> uh, l- looking around and smiling, going me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All set to the tune of "The Secret of My Success." It's right there at the beginning, like uh, an enormous sitcom. You have the yep. theme tune that enunciates the the names. Like Night Ranger sang it. Of yeah. Secret, <laughs> Night, Ranger, Night Ranger. Night Ranger sings "The Secret of My Success" at the start of the film. "The Secret of My Success" as successful people go around New York City, and Michael J. Fox walks around with his eyes, his, his jaw hanging open, saying, "You know, this will be me. I'm going to be a big success." It, Again, he he very clearly in this montage in the flashbacks sets out what he wants to do. He wants to go to New York, become yeah. mega successful, rich, yeah. powerful businessman, and come home on his own private jet. Yeah, and, and, and it's not about it, it's not about what the job is, no, is no, it? It's, it's, it's the it's, ambition of Michael J. Fox's Brantley Foster is to become super wealthy. Yeah, is to it, become an executive. Whatever that is, it's to become an executive. Yeah, he yeah he he doesn't want to you know invent the long lasting light bulb or. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or create the iPod. He just wants to be a success. Yeah, he wants to be a success. A corporate it's success. Never quite, it's never quite clear from the film what he's graduated in. I mean, we, we assume business. it's some kind it's just of business. Business, you know, economics. It's probably not economics, is it? It's like I don't know what the Kansas State University business school. It would just um, be business, wouldn't it? It'd be business, business. I've, I've come from business and I've learned business. I'm here yeah, to do exactly. business. Yeah. So. But but you know unfortunately for Bradley um, he's obviously he's got a job he's got a, a job at a, a successful um, business, business. <laughs> <laughs> quite sure what this business does but um, shred things he, mostly he, he walks on, in. on his on his first day um, he turns up and actually the the the, the company is being wound up um, and uh, he's he's out on his ear yeah. straight away he's out on his ear he doesn't have a job it doesn't have a job it's been taken over by a rival corporation yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. I think I think we learn hostile takeovers like hostile takeovers son it happens in business yeah yeah that's that's business for you isn't it that's business, that's business in the eighties. <laughs> We need to stop business. saying business. <laughs> business. That's what it is, though, isn't it? It's business. So, yep. you know, he, he wanders around. He, he wanders around New York. He, he finds an apartment, which is basically like a serial killer's drug den or something like that. Um, I must and... say that the, the joke that I remember that joke from the, the very first, um, and it paid off quite well. He's his his mother in the in the flashbacks saying, "You going to pack an iron, son? You don't want to be all wrinkly and this kind of stuff." And uh, yeah. he, he's in this this infested <laughs> this apartment. He's shouting to the the bugs and the rats saying you will stay on your end of the phone in the room i'll stay on my end of the room look i'm packing an iron and then he (laughs) slams it against the wall to this squeak um and there's a warning shot to all the critters in his his room Um, and it's in it's in it's in quite a rundown part of new york Um, and it is interesting to see kind of like a pre-gentrified new york as well in some of those areas as well so it's you know, you, you do get you do get a quite a strong impression of the squalor, I suppose. And, and there's one there's one quite nice scene very early on in the film where um, 
he's been touting his CV around uh, various businesses yeah. of New York uh, for, you know, like what, what seems like ages, but it's probably only an afternoon. Yes. And um, yeah, he, he says, I've been doing this all day. It's as if that's a, a distressing <laughs> like one yeah. day for a job. <laughs> He goes back to his apartment and he and um, he goes to a he goes to like a um, uh, I don't know like a, a phone booth outside his apartment uh, which is in like a r- pretty rough part of New York yeah. and he's on the phone to his mum who you know say how how are things oh yeah it's great it's fantastic you know got my new job new apartment it's brilliant and then um, there's a robbery at the uh, at the um, at the the off license that he's outside of jewelers um, yeah and then. Suddenly, there's like a police shootout and everything, and uh, it's really loud. And his, his mum's obviously getting worried, and he's saying, "Oh, it's on the television." Oh, but it's really loud. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got to go on the TV. Yeah, I can't turn the TV down. The remote's broken. There's Miami Vice, mum, and there's bullets just be coming through the glass of his of his uh, of his phone booth, and he's clinging. He's on the floor, getting yeah, showered yeah. with glass. He's going, the knob came off my hand. It's just too loud." <laughs> And the police literally gunning down the, 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 the suspects and dragging them off to the, the, the panda car. I actually had that noted down as well. I thought that was really funny. It was the only time you had really the fake funny. call to his mum. And I think, again, mm. I could have done with like two or three of those in the film. It, yeah. it was quite well played, the kind of the the, the, uh, the, the, the contrast between what was going on and what he was telling his mum. I thought that scene was very well played, actually. It I thought and, and, uh, it, that, it's, it, it's an example of when... It's an example of um, how you can see why Michael J. Fox was such a popular star in in, in the mid to late eighties because yeah. he's charm personified and and that's yeah. a really that that scene really kind of um, promotes his skills I think kind of quite physical quite cheeky you know it's really really but, good. But, scene. Yeah, I'll, I'll come back to yeah, to what his strengths are, but that that was one of it. And there's other moments in the film. It's when he's up against it really. It's when he's he's floundering. It's almost um, it's yeah. quite a British comedy sensibility actually. It's when well, he's, it it's it's not he's not. He's not the coolest guy in the room, you know, when he's at his best. He's normally just a little bit flustered and a little bit floundering, and, and the charm comes across through that. Um, yeah, and that's definitely. when he's that's when he's its funniest, I think. Again, it was all Michael. That's Back to the Future was so good because in Back to the Future he was permanently off balance. And, yes, and therefore not he was knowing he, quite what was happening, slightly bewildered. Yeah, and therefore it was constantly funny. And it's again, it's, it's when he's I think when he's more comfortable in the you know in this mm. character's more comfortable in the movie, they become less entertaining. But yeah, I mean <laughs> him on the ground trying to um, talk to his mother whilst the gunfighter wrapped around him was very funny so, he, so he's always and you know the, the, these quite early scenes do set the scene quite well and it moves at quite a pace and um, well again, that's, that's because of the montages we're, we're, oh, now, yeah, we're now in our second montage I've written I'll, I may come to the analysis how many montages we had but oh, we've yeah. had we've had our arrival montage oh there's a lot of montages in and now film. we've had our job seeking montage when he goes from <laughs> job to job there was one moment in this given when he's tapping his CV where um, he talks to, to one of the uh, the, the interviewers um, who basically say you don't, you've been to college you don't have any experience and he goes but but surely I have college I've got experience in college no you have college experience you need work experience yeah. but then why did I go to college well you had fun didn't you <laughs> and uh, that hit a bit too close to home for me <laughs> yeah it did as well <laughs> having having worked for Having worked for sector skills councils and now a higher education institution, I think it's very, it's very clear that it's quite close to home, both in my own personal experience and my professional experience yes. as well. <laughs> and obviously that's where the quote at the start comes in, which is also quite a nice quote where he's, he's really fed up and he says, basically, I will do anything. And the person hiring him says, look, you're re- you are, you're overqualified, but you're not a minority woman, yeah. which also says something about the politics of late 80s America as well, that that's a humorous joke in a big budget popular yeah. commercial film 
because I because again I must have been well I was probably ten or twelve when I watched this you know well I wasn't that old um, so I had no idea what they were talking about other than the fact he can't be a woman mm. tee hee hee but I didn't I didn't get why he you know why they were trying to hire a woman or whatever like that it was like oh I get it he can be everything but that or whatever yeah, of course no. in a different sitcom he's putting on a dress and being Stoutfire <laughs> <laughs> yeah he is yeah exactly yeah um, he is but yeah um so but what what we've also had teased to us is that Brantley has a very distant. Um, uncle in New York. He's like the, he's the the nephew of the sister of the married who got bit by that dog and died. <laughs> by yeah, by yeah. some by some chain, he has an uncle who happens to be the CEO of a massively successful company, Pemrose. Pemrose, Pemrose, yeah, Pemrose. Yeah. which again, I, I think sells weapons. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they're so more there, successful there than they sell no, weapons. No, no, there's a scene quite early on again when Brantley. Um, he gets a he gets an appointment to see his uncle Howard Prescott, yeah. um, who who we we are first introduced to him um, as all of his kind of um, idiotic um, executive board are thrown out of a meeting because they they don't know what they're talking about and they're all looking quite dishevelled and slightly worried about what's happening and he he you know Brantley seems to have managed to get a, a meeting with him by sweet talking his secretary effectively. I don't know what, and, what um, he did there was again so once again so iconic. He photocopies his head yeah. and signs it. And, and and if you didn't see that and then want to photocopy your head, then you don't. You're not human. Because <laughs> no, I certainly did. I'm the, my first day of work experience, the first thing I did was slip the old head under the photocopier. Well, I t- I tend to still do it about once a month. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have had four bouts of skin cancer. <laughs> But, but, you know, but it's it worth saves, it. It saves money on the selfies. <laughs> it does. It saves money on the selfies. It does. I just post pictures of my photocopied face to people. I want, anyway. I want your Instagram account number that has the monthly updates of James's photocopied head. <laughs> but there's a, scene, there's a scene where he's having this conversation with Howard Prescott. And Howard Prescott is r- rightly bemused by this person who he didn't know he had a nephew anyway yeah but 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 basically um brantley says you know this is a fantastic business you've built this business up it's brilliant you sell everything no he, i think actually it's how prescott he says we sell everything from toilet ducts to um weapons or, or like military grade weapons and i'm thinking and, and branch is like wow it's amazing is it <laughs> this is an example, another example of Brantley doesn't care about what the job is that he gets yeah. as long as he's an executive yes yes he could be selling poison to children he, as, as long as, as he's as, an executive in that business no but as long as the business was doing it efficiently because again when we come later on we'll come to that in about in two minutes time <laughs> but when he looks at the business he's aghast at how inefficient and how the, the structure and the hierarchies aren't working correctly not yeah. what they're making so the fact yeah <laughs> the industrial grade poison as long as it went through the proper channels and had its invoices going up and down would be fine but if it's being done inefficiently then that's not good that's not good business <laughs> So Howard Prescott is, is you know, rightfully slight, has disdain for, for, for Brantley, but, you know, he's family. But he's charmed a little bit, because, again, Michael he's charmed once a little again bit, yeah, does, you know, does the yeah, earnestness. He, he yeah. kind of goes, goes in close and says, I can do anything if I just get a chance. Couldn't you give me a chance? So he does give him a chance in the mailroom. In the mailroom. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, he starts, and, you know, he's obviously he's happy with this. He's like, yes, I can do this. This is fantastic. Um, he, he starts his new job in the mailroom. 
And we've, well, uh, I've, I've just got to put a nod to who his mentor is, because his, his boss is the usual kind of um, mustachioed, grim-faced person who's got his eye on him. But then he assigns him, you know, an old an old hand um, who's who's uh, who can teach him the ropes. And again, it's very eighties. This is a gentleman who has his sunglasses up on his head. He's he's got a, he's got his, uh, his 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 sleeve his shirt is you know worn loose and tucked at the sleeves. His name yeah. is Melrose, and he's super cool. <laughs> Shall I tell you who, who Melrose is? Yes. Not as an actor. Not an actor, but as in a character. Go on, then. He's Ferris Bueller, 30 years on. <laughs> this is what happens to Ferris Bueller. <laughs> yeah. Ferris Bueller thought he was, he was you know, cock of the walk at, at, at school. That's what happened well, to him. Well, Melrose, Melrose, yeah. Melrose thinks he's cock of the walk of the mailroom. <laughs> He is, but he's working in the mail room. That's yeah. the difference. But he, yeah, but he, so Mel, Melrose teaching the ropes how to basically do your job in thirty minutes when everyone thinks it takes two hours. How to um, he, he's what do you say? He don't don't converse with the suits. Um, yeah. So you don't you don't talk to the executives, um, and he also knows what's happening. So they they see a suit getting uh, fired and clearing out his office, and he goes, "Oh, we knew about it last week and this kind of stuff." Which I thought is quite cool because it sets up the idea that the mailroom has privy yeah. has knowledge to things that the rest aren't privy to. Which it Bradley, helps to move the plot quite along yeah. at some very specific points. Yeah. So it sets it up quite early and quite subtly as well. Yeah, yeah. Brantley is immediately taken advantage of this. Uh, he is just a mail again, a mail delivery guy, but he starts t- taking the memos and reading them for himself. So he's already yeah. trying to get his head around the company which again is all about how it operates not what it sells but he's he's trying to get the inside track through his job in the mailroom yeah it is and you know there's, there's, a, there's a scene where there's him and Melrose um, having a lunch outside and he's reading the memo yeah. that's, that's been sent and he's sat there going you know this is ridiculous there's so much inefficiency going on in this business but like, he sent this to this person this person sent this back to this person what's going on without actually describing anything <laughs> <laughs> so and this comes, this goes through the film quite a lot you don't actually hear anything that Brantley says that could be construed as any kind of business knowledge <laughs> all he says is effectively this is really inefficient yeah. or I disagree we should grow <laughs> that's basically all he says but we'll come on to that so yeah. it's, it, clearly the, 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 the script writers knew nothing about business yeah in, in fairness I'm quite glad it didn't go too deep into business knowledge because it would have been less entertaining <laughs> film if it had been real have you not seen Margin Call you should it's a fantastic um, riposte to the did, economic did, meltdown of did the you late just make that up? no it's a good <laughs> film okay. it's got Kevin Spacey in it oh, but, I mean oh. pre-scandal <laughs> before he was cancelled yes anyway so um, we should mention actually there, there is a moment that kicks the plot off before that happens uh, we should mention that um, that Brantley Foster does go and have a drink of water which is crucial <laughs> Brantley Foster goes to the water fountain oh. has a little drink of water and then out of nowhere a vision appears in, in, in shoulder pads it's Christy Wills, isn't Christy it? Christy Wills asks if she can have a drink of water. She, of course, doesn't drink this. Christy Wills is played by. No, Hattie she doesn't Slater. drink this normally. She, 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 she moistens her lips. She doesn't. <laughs> the water merely dabs upon her lips, then falls wistfully as, as, as back. As the sunlight in... glitters through it, basically, yeah, basically, um, Christy Wills, played by Helen Slater, aka Supergirl, um, appears, yeah. uh, never blinking. Probably these. She looks like. Um, a very good Princess Diana impersonator. That's <laughs> yes, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, Princess Diana like. Yeah. Uh, so, so, for example, it would be um, yeah, if there was like a uh, the royal variety show, but after the divorce, <laughs> uh, 
but they still wanted to give the impression that Prince Charles was married to Prince Diana. She, she would have been hired. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. So so uh, Christy Wills appears, asking if she could use the water fountain, and then um, for about the, what feels like the next ten minutes, she takes a drink of water. I think it is about ten it, minutes. It keeps we on... go we we go through what feels like a almost like a, a prog rock length eighties <laughs> um, synthesized. Love ballad. Yeah, there's close ups of her drinking the water. Then we cut back to her going round and round a revolving door very, very slowly. Then we cut back to her just walking towards him wearing an evening dress as <laughs> as, as Brantley Foster just leans against the wall going, yeah. <laughs> with nobody else around. No, it's, it's the, 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 the room is cleared. I think, I sense, this was meant to tell us that he's fallen head over heels in love with Christy Wills. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it, was, it only took at least three other um, scenes like that yeah. for me to be absolutely <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I think we can say it isn't subtle. Um, the, no. the, the, the introduction of the love interest is not subtle. But then what does happen um, that's a bit more out of left field is that um, Brantley is sent on a special errand um, from the mailroom because basically the driving pool is empty and they need someone to drive home one of the executive's wives. Yeah. Um, and so that is when... Um, Brantley has to take a chauffeur and drive home one of the executive wives to the house, and it is none other than Vera, um, who will Vera Pembrose of Pembrose business. Yes, Vera Pembrose. Um, but he doesn't know this. He immediately knows her as this, um, and again, as this executive wife is going to drive home. Uh, and she arrives first. She's got all the big shopping bags and 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 you know, the other. She's very glamorous and. Um, and she's quite cold to him until he like you know gives her the, the slightest sliver of charm, at which point she becomes interested. Um, which is probably... well, it's so creepy because, um, you know, he basically says something like, "If you were my wife, I would want to wake up next to you every day," or something like that. That yeah. in any normal walk of life would get you the sack. Oh, yeah, I, I hope I hope I'm, when I'm as old, I'll have someone as beautiful as you to wake up next to. <laughs> well, that would still get you the sack, wouldn't yeah. it? But that, and, but then what it does get instead is, is a is a predatory smirk from Vera. <laughs> oh, and it's oh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's, you predi- it's horrible. I thought it was it's predatory. Oh, I thought it was awesome. It is very predatory. <laughs> it's but but to be honest, it's yeah the the way it's played out because okay, well we'll set the scene now. So basically, he's. Vera's got in the car, been called to him. She, he, she has then learned that her husband is cheating on her. She's chalking on her phone how how outraged she is, yeah. and he he throws a bit of charm her way. At which point, um, the 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 very famous montage of from Yellow, the Oh Yeah song begins. <laughs> For someone with a, a heavy cold, you've done quite well there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So that so that begins. Um, as basically Vera is gearing up for war, she starts throwing on her lipstick and spl- sprinkling her perfume everywhere and uh, and whatnot. And poor poor Brantley's getting hotter under the collar as a number of metaphors happen, such as the uh, the aerial in the car goes up and down, um, the uh, the windscreen wipers involuntarily spray out everywhere. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the 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 screen between the driver and, oh, yeah. and the passenger goes up and down as well, doesn't the it? Thing, he's 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 fumbling to turn the screen yeah. up, and with one confident press, she lowers the screen, and he's got no choice. <laughs> um, and he's very, basically he's getting hot on the car. But to be honest, he's not dragged out by his hair. He he kind of goes along with it. She she basically performs a seduction, and when they get to the house, she gives him a, a whiskey and then throws him in the pool. Um, and, and then whips off his, his swim shorts mm. and the rest is just left to the imagination of splashes and they're, they're seen reclining in their bathroom. So they basically had an enjoyable romp. Um, well, yeah, uh, it, I mean, I'm glad you've described it like that, Hugh, because there's another reading of that, which is that he was raped. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, you know what? I think I think it was pointed out to me that um, yeah, had the genders been reversed in this, it would have been. No, actually, oh, yeah. There, no, there's, no. There's, there's a couple of things in here where if you reverse the genders, it's very creepy. Um, so yeah, um, had had this been yeah a, a young female uh, employee and an executive who drags her into his <laughs> yeah. house and plies her with drink and then throws yeah. her in the pool, he seems he seems very happy with the whole affair. Though. He does. He does. Oh, it, yeah. Post-coital, he does. Post-coital, he does seem happy. When well, because, but, you know, he's got some s- sumptuous dressing gown on. That's why it looks. <laughs> oh, it looks so comfortable. And I tell you what, the, the, they're in like they're in like the outhouse, aren't they? It's kind of like this glorified. Yeah, I don't, ship. Th- I don't think they beautiful. call it an outhouse. Well, you know, it's, it's it's a beautiful kind of place where they are, just next to the pool. The swim it's shallow. Full of cushions. Yeah. Oh, I tell you what, if I, it's, it's you kind know, of, he, he's he's there talking. If about I'd his woken home. up at Barrymore's pad. That morning, amongst that decadence, maybe I'd have dealt with the situation. No, look at this. Now, Brantley is now, you know, he's he's had he's had relations with a woman who he has openly said he finds beautiful. He's all very, he's telling her about his hopes and dreams. He's very chill. He's very relaxed. All this is very, I think, good and positive. Until the moment he looks out the window and finds that Howard has come home and he realises it's his uncle. Um, and therefore he's just slept with Auntie Vera. <laughs> But not 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 by blood. Not by blood. They they made that very clear. In, they made that very clear at the start of the movie. But I say Vera seems very tickled by this idea that she's been she's yeah. anti Vera. He seems absolutely horrified now. And, yes, he would be. And once again, does the whole flustered Michael J. Fox farewell, yes. where he tries to get dressed and, and and leap out of the the window and avoid the guard dogs and and escape. Yeah, exactly. Now we're only actually in about the first ten minutes of the film. So that's <laughs> no, again, I was <laughs> I would say to this, yeah, it's um. I think I'm going to say uh, you may have different politics, different views on the politics of this. I think Vera hits the plot like a train. Um, I think... <laughs> oh no! Look, can we'll come on to this in the analysis. Yeah. Let's leave it for now. But yeah. um, I, yes, I, I am. I'm. I'm jesting slightly. I, I'm, I'm playing to the to the to the gallery, I guess, really. Yeah. But she. We don't have a gallery. She is. <laughs> if we do, the gallery is empty, and the only person the, is the cleaner who's preparing for the next show. <laughs> This is the most important thing that I do, you. <laughs> Just give me the gallery. <laughs> no, she, it, 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 she is, um, yeah, she is like a yeah, runaway train. We'll, 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 we'll come to Vera's part then. Anyway, but interestingly, yeah, it's, um, I mean, he's he's pretty low at this point because I don't think he's too happy the fact he had sex with Auntie Vera, and he's getting nowhere near um, the lovely Chrissy, and he's still working in the mailroom, and this is his genesis point actually where he um again there's a sad montage that happens with the, the song the song is saying it seems like the world is upside down the songs are very on point this is another thing about the 80s is the songs literally tell again for someone who doesn't like musicals james you picked another movie where that has a soundtrack that is just I like can't, no i can't Michael J. Fox could as well be singing this he could have appeared singing the secret of my success <laughs> uh, and he could have been singing this song that seems like the world is upside down just something I've gotta do. Anyway, he he then he then wanders in his melancholy into the empty office, which is before mentioned. You know, an executive got canned. Yeah. Um, and he's in there, and the phone rings, and um, and he answers, he, it, he, he answers it, doesn't he? Answers it. He answers it, and someone who doesn't know the executive's been canned is asked. He wants an executive decision. Um, yeah. And who's better to deliver this than Brantley, who knows nothing about it? He does, doesn't he? He makes this he executive makes, he decision. He makes a gut, and the, and the guy says, "I'm glad someone's around here who can make a gutsy decision." And I'm thinking, it's not too hard to make a gutsy decision when you have no accountability and no knowledge of what's going on I could probably do that it's like damn it let's fire that person <laughs> you made a gutsy choice there. yeah that's the kind of thing I do right I'm off to do my mail round now <laughs> I'll never come back to this room again 
But no, from that, he realises that all you have to do is just walk into an office and pretend you live, work there, and it'll all come into place. So he then uses his kind of his mailroom non, contacts. His nom de plume. Yeah, he, well, his, his nom de plume is uh, Carlton Whitfield. Which, let's be honest, if you were to create an alter ego, it would be called, you'd be called Carlton Whitfield, wouldn't you? But did you know where the Carlton Whitfield name comes from? No. It's in in the very first flashback when his his parents are warning him about the evils of, of New York City. Yeah. Um, she basically his mother says, "My my my friend, Miss Whitfield's son Carlton went to New York and he came back with his head shaved and a oh, and, is and, that and a, a, a drawing pin through his cheek or whatever." So he, so it's, it's foreshadowed, you know, brother of the film. But yes, he chooses Carlton Whitfield as the name of this, which is, is better than Brantley Foster. Yeah, it is Carlton Whitfield. I'd vote for get, Carlton Whitfield. Get done, yeah. Um, so he vents Carlton Whitfield and then uses his connections in the mailroom to go I've got these memos from Carlton Whitfield who wants pens and a secretary and, 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 and a desk um, and, a, and a name badge on his door um, yeah. it's Carlton Whitfield he's a, he's a, he's a go-getter oh yeah okay, he's burned up my fingers this memo this guy is hot <laughs> Uh, so he's so yes, which is actually quite a nice conceit. He's just pretending that Carlton Whitfield's there. So he, now we've established his double life as uh, by uh, he, he punches in as Bradley Brantley Whitfield, the uh, the humble say, male. By day he's he's Brantley Foster, and by day he's Carlton Whitfield. <laughs> yes, as well. there was a couple. There's a couple of montages where where Michael J. Fox has to quickly whip off his clothes and and yeah. then. Again, either go from blue collar to white collar. Um, yes. I would say they could have been a bit more imaginative in how this is done because it's basically just him taking his clothes off. It's not like he's he's you know secretly got one suit under the other. He just takes one clothes off and puts more on. But yeah. there's there's a few nice moments when he has to do it in an elevator and again gets caught by his new secretary, um, which again is is he, he's a, he's basically standing in his boxes in his office when the, the the secretary arrives for the first time. <laughs> he, he plays this wonderful kind of injured dignity of I it was very warm in here. It's not warm anymore. I'm going to put my clothes back on. <laughs> you went all a bit Charles Hawtree there. <laughs> so the voice is going. I did warn James that uh, Joe Pasquale might be making a special guest appearance tonight. But he's up and down elevators, getting changed, pressing the alarm so that um, the... The, the maintenance guy has to come out all the time and he's getting increasingly annoyed. The maintenance and, guy's uh, played yeah, by every time his, every time his secretary it. turns up somewhere, he's, he's, he's half clad, really, isn't he? <laughs> he there was um, one quite good way he in, ensures his privacy in the elevator, whereby he gets in an elevator, stands behind someone, and then deftly knocks the, the back of his, his files <laughs> so they shoot out of this poor person's yeah. arms and he has to leave the elevator to fetch them and then the doors have closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is something I would love to try if I had the nerve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's lots of things I'd like to try in an elevator. Um, really? I, I mean, I'd, I don't know. I'd quite like to take my clothes off in an elevator. It'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? As long as I could guarantee that the doors wouldn't open. I, to be honest, I have not been in elevators classy enough for me to want to shed any layers of clothing. <laughs> I'd want to put on more layers to get in most elevators. <laughs> You put gloves on. I'll go in a hazmat, so I always wear gloves. You know, I touch the buttons with my elbow. <laughs> I'm gonna have to disinfect the elbow. <laughs> We've digressed, though. We've digressed. We? Anyway, okay. um, so yes, yeah, so he is he's living his double life, and that this then continues. So now, of course, Carlton Whitfield meets Chrissy. Um, uh, Christy Will, Christy who, who who is a financial wizard. She is 
she's one of the high-flying suits. She's the only it? female executive, and mm. she wears enormous glasses when she's being clever. Um, so that's yeah. good. Uh, that shows how much she's a financial wizard. She doesn't. She she displays no business or financial acumen at all. No, but, but she does have massive glasses. Massive well, she glasses. types furiously. She does, and uh, and she's quite demanding. I suppose we should also mention, yeah, it, now he starts to have exchanges. She talks like a robot. Um, yeah. This was clearly someone's idea of if a woman was intelligent, what would she sound like? She'd talk <laughs> like a robot, wouldn't she? Because literally, I mean, she she, does, she doesn't say things like "Hello, Brantley. Hello, my name's Chrissy." She just goes like, "Talk is overrated, is it not?" <laughs> yes, I find there are no there are no right and wrong. There is only the opinion or the perception of right or wrong, and it's pretty much this through the whole movie. <laughs> I, I, I might have to disagree with you here. Oh, I okay. just think Helen Slate is a poor actor. <laughs> I was giving her the benefit of the doubt because she was very... The character of Christy Wolves was very poorly serviced. But yeah, she, uh, there may have been a reason why the career ended at Supergirl. <laughs> yeah, and that was three years before The Secret of My Success. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Anyway. Okay, well, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I think we can agree Christy Wills is not the most dynamic of love interests. But um, Brandy. But Brand- I tell you what, the way that she doesn't drink water from a water fountain. <laughs> Oof! <laughs> Hot damn! There is a moment again. We'll, we'll come with this. So now, now Brantley is is um. So he's Brantley's setting the world alight and actually starting to wow all the executives. Um, under yeah. the guise Carlton Whitfield, of course. Of course, oh yes, Carlton Whitfield is wowing everyone, including mm. Chrissy, who starts to become intrigued by you know his, his radical ideas and this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and again, his radical ideas consist of saying things like, there's, there's, there's a lack of productivity in this business, or something like, I don't know, no, we need to grow the business. I think it involves trucks. He's got lots of pictures of trucks and shipping. And and maps with lines going from one part of the USA to another part of the USA. Yeah, which shows how uh, how important he is. But uh, also, actually, the the other um, thing that's impacting on the company is they've been targeted for a hostile takeover. So uh, they're very worried that someone is buying up their stock so they can take over and then fire all the executives. Donald Davenport. Donald Davenport. Um, (laughs) Actually, who's the... uh, Played by the monsters, Fred Gwynn. Ah, I love Fred Gwynn. If if Fred Gwynn isn't a Weekend at Quabby's favourite, he really ought to be. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, But, yeah, I was the... uh, The number two, who's the number two? Is it Fred? Um, No, Art. Art, that was it. Art Thomas. Yeah, Art Thomas, yeah. yeah, Art Thomas is the number two. He's basically... Because, obviously, um, Howard Prescott can't be in these board meetings, otherwise it'll give the game away that... um, Brantley is Carlton. They're all run by Art Thomas, who's basically the 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 uh, the, shriv- the sniggering lackey, um, at, uh, who does everything that Howard Prescott tells him to do. And he's very funny with it because, literally, he ev- he runs it like a school. It's like, like uh, you have a very negative attitude, and I'm going to tell Mr. Prescott about you. <laughs> and yeah, at point, Carlton is going, you know, we need to expand, we need to build. That's what Mr. Prescott thinks. Well, Mr. Prescott is wrong. I'm going to tell him you said that. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but there's, then, yeah. there's another scene in, in this in this particular meeting where, which I thought was quite nicely played as well, where they're describing the um, the hostile, the potential hostile takeover from, yeah. from Don, Donald Davenport, and um, you know, obviously, Press uh, Art Thomas is relaying Prescott's um, view that we need to cut costs, we need to fire people, we need to etc. etc. Yeah. and um, Carlton Whitfield says, "No, we don't. What we need to do is expand. We need to build our reputation. We need to we need a show of strength." And he says, um, "I can't remember the name of the executive, but he says, I don't know, uh, uh, over there or something." He said, "You know, he, he wrote this in his memo. He wrote this in his memo." And then they go, "Well, how, how did you know?" He wrote this in his memo, and he goes, 
who else could have written a memo like that? Yeah. This is once again the fact he's got privy knowledge, but he's flailing to, to get around it. It is quite funny because that that memo wasn't was just a profound. memo; that was literature. Yeah. <laughs> Very um, good. But yeah, there's a. But yeah, so, so uh, they actually we should mention it. There's, there's a lot of kind of funny yuppie things that happen in this movie. Like there's a, there's one shot when Howard is is taking his entire executives on a little jog around the top of yeah. the building. They're all in their yeah. big 80s <laughs> exercise suits. And it's like an etcher. Uh, kind of piece of art, isn't it? And they're just running round around in this tiny square. Yeah, but he's making sure that you know they have all their heart rates are in the correct temperature. And this kind of stuff. It's all and he, he, you know, he pedals on his exercise bike and he eats the haute cuisine. It's all it's kind of very, you know, very. This is what yuppies do. Um, yeah. But so, but at this point now, so um, Miss Howard Prescott is getting wind that there's a hot new executive, Carlton Whitfield, who's shaking shaking the tree. Um, mm. So he tells Chrissy to to, to spy on Carlton. Um, and in the process of, of trying to get to know his plans, uh, she falls for him. I will actually say before that, because he'd been angling to take her out for dinner a lot. Um, yeah. Which, which, once again, you, you talk about the, 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 the power dynamic. If it were anyone other than Michael J. Fox, they say, you know, imagine Steve Buscemi was doing this. It's quite <laughs> creepy, because he's a, he's a new colleague of, of Helen Slater. He keeps bursting into a room and trying to strike a conversation, which he's clearly saying, I'm not that interested in talking to you. And in the end, imagine, just gets, imagine if it was Steve Buscemi. <laughs> literally, in the end, he just corners and goes, look, I'm just trying to be friendly. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she... But she um, she, after asking her to go out a lot and uh, go for dinner, they basically they, they bond over working late at night because they're both workaholics and this kind of stuff. And at one point, Chrissy, our dynamic love interest, actually swoons. She, she, she <laughs> I've just, got low blood sugar. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, my blood sugar is low. I need to eat. But <laughs> and at the, and at this point, Carl, uh, Carl has been yelling at her, saying everything you say is stupid and wrong. It's yeah. like, oh, this is a wonderful relationship they're starting off. <laughs> But they, they go off and they eat some food and they bond and then they decide to work on the project. The project, I think, is just, you know, Carlton's little plan. Um, and, well, and, to, to grow. Yeah. And, and, to grow the business. <laughs> grow. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and once again, they have this whole thing about, oh, I think I'm falling for you, la, 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 la. Um, yeah. And, and then they, they, yeah, they get it on, basically. They, they, they uh, do, but what's ridiculous about that, so what I've, this, this, I think, is the most ridiculous scene in the entire film yeah. where... Um, uh, Brantley takes um, Christy back to his apartment, and uh, it's not mentioned. I mean, you know, they're all lovey-dovey and that they make love and all this. Kind of, I mean, it's not explicit. I don't mean yeah. that, but you know, it's, it's, it's all very blue lights over, yeah. The, yeah. blue moonlight over there, bareback. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, it's the next day or, or something. But I'm thinking to myself, wait, whoa, hang on. You've taken her back to your rat-infested <laughs> tiny room. <laughs> in rundown Harlem or something and you're an executive that you're Colton Whitfield well, and like alarm bells aren't ringing in her head that's a very good point <laughs> like hang on a minute you've taken me basic you're homeless basically <laughs> you are effectively homeless and yet you work in this you're an executive in this massive business I, that I thought that's not that's weird gosh that displays a level of analysis I would have not put you put, put you down <laughs> I suppose that's love for you, isn't it? You know, you get blinded by these things, didn't you? But it, it was the fact that it wasn't commented on. It was just, why didn't he go back to hers? Well, to, yeah, to, to be honest, um, at this point, it's all slightly ridiculous because 
the, there's a point where he kind of teases her because she's basically she's leaning in for a kiss and mm. taking a very long time. But she's going, I've heard that people who work on a project get too close together. Is that right? Yeah, that is. She's like, she gets closer and closer and closer. <laughs> and she keeps on saying these soppy things, <laughs> increasingly soppier. Like, they they fall very intensely. And he goes, oh, well, we'll have to watch out for that then, won't we? And you, kind of <laughs> and you think, oh, snap, Bradley, you got her there. And then literally two minutes later, they're kissing because he decides, oh, sod it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so but there's that. So at, at this point, we're, we are we're coming up to the the denouement. Where, um, we are uh, much Brad, to the delight of our listeners. <laughs> we, we, we've been down many cul-de-sacs, but uh, Brantley comes in and again is confronted again by Vera, um, uh, and then Howard realizes and basically <laughs> they have a bit of a tussle, which will. Um, Again, we, we look at the analysis, but I thought it was very funny. You may have different views on it, but uh, but Vera is um, Vera's already had one late night visit to to Brantley anyway. Yeah. Um, in between, after after they've had their little fling, um, where he he lets her in and they have sex. Um, um, but then in she he finds her in on Howard's couch now, and, and she is uh, in high spirits because she's singing at him a lot. And, he's, <laughs> and no matter how much he tries to wriggle away, she's basically chasing him round around the office, yeah, slowly yeah. disrobing him. He's yeah. basically climbing up the window so that she takes his trousers off. Um, <laughs> and then Howard catches them almost in flagrante, but they manage to talk their way out of it. As you know, I bump my head on what the floor and yeah. the ceiling at the same time. Um, <laughs> Howard is basically not interested, but is has clocked on that Vera and Brantley get on together, so that would be great if they come to his um, little party in his summer house, because then he can make his moves on Chrissy. Have we mentioned yet that Howard is having an affair with Chrissy? Um, I don't think we have, but... No, Christy, Christy is the one she's having an affair, he's having an affair yeah. with. Um, we so, we, think... so we've got a situation where Christy Wills is having an affair... Sorry, uh, Howard Prescott is having an affair with Christy Wills. Or at least pursuing her aggressively. We don't know yeah, if it actually yeah. became an affair. Well, no, they have been in a relationship, but yeah. she is perhaps kind of pushing away a little bit. Christy Wills is now in love with... Um, Carlton Carl Whitfield. Field, stroke Brantley... Um, what is Foster. Foster. <laughs> Brantley Foster. Yeah. Who is being... Um, Seduced by uh, Vera Prescott, who's married uh, to Howard Prescott. Howard Prescott's husband. Uh, sorry, pr- yeah, sorry, um, Pemrose, who is Howard Prescott's wife and uh, Brantley Foster's aunt. Yes. So that's the kind of that's the that's the, the love uh, quartet. But yeah, the love quartet. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> talking about, and effectively, they're all kind of um, like grimly, creepily getting on with each other. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> It's grim. <laughs> and also, on top of this, so if people are, are just, you know, be aware of what's happening, Howard Prescott thinks that Carlton Whitfield is a spy for Donald Davenport, who's undertaking a, a hostile takeover. Therefore, Christie's been asked to spy on him. But he also con- thinks that Carlton Whitfield is sleeping with Christie, which he is, but he doesn't know that Carlton Whitfield is Brantley Foster. <laughs> and all of this uh, kind of comes to a crescendo yeah. at the uh, the weekend party stroke business uh, meeting of the executives at Howard Prescott's um, or Vera Pemrose's country estate, yes. um, which has the great and the good of the New York business scene. Yes, all the all the best finances there. And Vera again takes Brantley under her wing and introduces him to all the all the all the top businessmen. So Brantley, and we have another montage, don't we? we? And I've, I've got a I've got a 
stick a pin in this montage because basically there is the montage is p- portrayed as a contrast between all of Howard's executives are, are nestled together in a little group arguing about what to do and yeah. whereas, whereas Brantley is underneath the gazebo and he starts talking to these three financiers and all of a sudden the music's playing and yeah. Vera looks on at like her protege with, with you know, <laughs> wide eyes thinking look at the man he's become and then all of a sudden all the other guests around hear him talk because he's got he's basically got one leg up on the, on the gazebo and he's, and he's, he's pontificating and, it, and they start to walk up a hill to listen to it's like the Sermon of the Mount literally it's religious isn't it Michael J Fox's charisma is so vast that everybody in this country club drops what they're doing and comes to hear him speak and it's hilarious all all it looks like he is actually doing though is pointing at pictures in a newspaper yeah yeah yeah, as financial figures and talking about what he's doing but (laughs) also also, the music is quite you know build up to a crescendo do you know the name of the song the, the name of the song that describes this revelatory moment in the gazebo is from a band called Gazebo. <laughs> is the song I called think Revelatory? The, I think the song is called Gazebo. Is and, it? and yet, I think it's just called Gazebo, and it's by Gazebo. Um, and the band <laughs> didn't pick their name off this. They just I think they're an Italian band who like, it's like a synth. It's like um, it's very um, yeah. um, it was, um what's girl uh, Angelica's no um. Adimus, who did that? Uh, Vangelis. It's very Vangelis. Oh, Vangelis, yeah. Yeah, they're very Vangelis type stuff. Um, And they picked their name Gazebo because they thought it sounded cool and exotic. (laughs) But Gazebo (laughs) was playing in the Gazebo scene. Well, yeah, I, I... that tickled me a lot. But anyway. and you say you say I have a level of analysis, which is too. <laughs> but but that's that's neither here nor there. What really is important is when the sun goes down, because then oh. all the bedroom fast begins. Because of course, Brantley wants to get, get to... we get another rendition of Yellow's. Oh I yeah, you think they could have found at least another song by Yellow? But <laughs> I they, like they, it. It works. I like it. But they, they, there's the voodoo song that they use in Nuns on the Run. Nuns on the Run shared a lot of soundtrack with this. <laughs> Uh, and they could have used the uh, voodoo, dum ba dum dum, because it's the same. Well, they could thing. have gone. Um, uh, uh, what was it? Kiss. Uh, the art of noise is kiss, couldn't they? That would have been good. They could. They could have gone with Benny Hill soundtrack, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Because what happens is Brantley's trying to get into Christie's bedroom. Christie's trying to get into Brantley's bedroom, but they didn't talk to each other about who's going to whose bedroom. So even if it had just those two, it still would have been a kerfuffle. Um, yeah. Howard is trying to get into Christie's bedroom. Vera's trying to get into Howard's bedroom. Art, for some reason, is woken and thinks random women are trying to sleep with him. and He's chasing after them. Um, <laughs> the, the rather creepy bit, now you talk about pyrodynamics, the rather creepy bit is Howard, who is trying to get into Christie's bedroom, finds it locked, and then goes and gets the master key to let himself in. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Ooh. considering he is both, you know, the host and she's the guest, and her boss and she's his employee, um, and their former engagement, a former relationship, is quite a violation. Um, but fear not, because Michael J. Fox is already tucked up in bed, so Howard crawls into bed with him, and, and I think we get a scene that is not long enough of him snuggling up to Michael J. Fox <laughs> and proposing marriage to him. Um, but but, but he does, uh, at which point both Christy and Vera burst into and the lights come on and it all comes out. And they learn that yeah. Brantley's Whitford Carlton is, they learn that Christy's been having an affair with Howard and da 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 da, da and, and, and they all start arguing and no one is left on good terms. Even uh, Michael J. Fox and, uh, and Helen say to have a big row um, which yeah. you know, breaks their hearts. 
It is, yeah, it is. It doesn't last long, though, does it? Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, that's you know, that's that that is as close as we come. Basically, to, the to, next scene. Yeah, but they get back yeah, on together. That's, again, that's as close as we come to the all is lost moment. Basically, <laughs> the uh, Michael J. Fox is sad and packing up his things because he's been fired. He walks into the elevator with Christie. They have a little bit of terseness and they're back together again. Yeah, the the, the elevator doors close and they're having an argument and it opens again and they're passionately kissing yes, each the, other. The writers wrote um, themselves and, out and, a corner but, having to work out why the they'd be happy. The writers wrote themselves out a corner there because they'd have to work out why they made up. They just close the doors, open yes, them up, and they're, they're no. back. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But he's um, got a that's plan. That's the 80s for you, isn't it? Just simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this this is the start of the kind of the the the, the very final scene where um, the, uh, the, the the hostile takeover is happening. Donald yeah. Davenport, which I think is quite a, a non diplume for Donald Trump, must must be surely. Um, Donald Davenport. I, don't, is, I is think even port- Fred Gwynn in his autumn years has more charm. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. with his, with his is, rotten lower teeth and his, his laconic <laughs> smiles there. Is it in in the boardroom with uh, with Howard Prescott and the suits of both companies, and they're yeah. about to exchange contracts on on um, on on the, the 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 hostile takeover, and effectively, you know, it, it's really smarmy. And Donald Davenport says, basically, you guys have all kept your jobs. Don't worry about it. And everyone's like, well, let's sign this off then. Brilliant, fantastic. Yeah, I will say actually, one thing is the uh, one thing you said again, Michael J. Fox cares about nothing. There is an undertone that he wants to save jobs. Um, because the uh, during the whole movie when the, the executives are talking about let's let's slash the overheads let's let's make ourselves lean yeah. to, to fight off Dal Damport they're talking about cancelling jobs especially in the the Midwest so he's talking about Kansas you know like closing down the factory and the shipping in Kansas and this kind yeah, of stuff and you can you you he never actually says it but you assume <laughs> because he's a nice guy he wants to make these changes because it will save jobs as well even though he couldn't say because he'd seem like a sissy then if he said I want to save jobs and yeah. everybody go that's not good business but. Indirectly, as a consequence of what he's doing, he's saving a lot of you know blue collar jobs. Again, especially close to home, that's never made much of. But, it, but I think you're stretching it a bit. But no, no, no. They, they, given that everyone, everyone who's on opposite sides to him, like when Christie is is against him, she's talking about slashing jobs, and he keeps saying don't do it. But he never says yeah. don't do it because it's wrong. He just says don't do it because it's bad yeah. business. Um, yeah. But either way, yes. He so basically Donald Davenport is yeah, is gonna bribe the board with all their own job but fire everyone else and then in comes Brantley uh, aided by Christie aided by um, um, his secretary <laughs> aided by yeah. Melrose and yeah. aided by Vera yeah so what they've managed to do somehow is just when well, he's aided by his financial backers all the guys he was smoozing in the gazebo have also decided to finance his his way there what he's basically done is taken over controlling interest in the Melrose in the Primrose Corporation so Vera's now in charge of that and they're going to essentially like, reverse take over Donald Davenport too. Yeah. So, but also in this, Melrose, and um, I think it's Jean, isn't it? Who's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brand- uh, Brand- they become integral parts of the new business. So they are basically parts of the executive. Wait, no, I think that's a leap. They did all right. A leap of faith for Fred Melrose, <laughs> who is who's who's a slob. <laughs> What? He's a mailman. What does she... Vera calls him something that's not Melrose at the very start? Funny if they get Vera ends up dating Melrose. It's kind of like the page. Vera now decides she's over Brantley, um, and she just wants she just admires his business sense um, because now he's now put her in charge of the Premrose Corporation, yeah. which it, it is. It's mentioned that um, her father built up Premrose. Pemrose from nothing. Pem- he, yeah. he started off in poverty too, um, and built up Pemrose, and then she basically got Howard. Um, managed to manoeuvre and get Howard in the top job um, yeah. but he's been doing so badly she, you know, she, 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 Michael J Fox is now 
Brantley Foster is now going to rebuild Primrose to the way it should be. But then she ends up paired off with Melrose, and she calls him something like Melvin or whatever. <laughs> and either that was just the actress making a slip, or it's just that Vera just doesn't care. Oh, no. But yeah, but but it's there. So they, they do it right. So basically, um, all is well. Howard is flung out on his ear, and uh, and yeah. and what follows again is the success montage of um, black tie suits and limousines. And that's the end. That's the end. And I think our analysis there has been about as that that was Santa Claus the movie length. <laughs> analysis wasn't it that was too late the hero style oh it wouldn't have yeah it, it, it was long we, we we took a few diversions and uh yeah we've yeah. got we've got into the analysis there as well i think we have but uh we'll... but, but that that was the secret of my success that was it everyone is happy and it also ends with again a song of uh not quite the sequence it's just something like um s-e-e-c-e-e-s-s that's the way you spell success yeah that's it yeah um but actually the, the lyrics are something along the lines of small town farm boy comes along and proves his worth <laughs> Also quite on the nose. I think everything about this film is quite on the nose, really. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it, it's it, you don't have to. You could be a complete idiot and still enjoy this film. And here we are making a podcast out of it. it so, is. but I think also awful. again, you, you could play it in the, uh, without the, without the soundtrack. You know, you you could tell what's going on without having to understand yeah. any of the words in it. Yeah, that's true. It could be a silent film, couldn't it? Yeah, or a foreign language. If it was a foreign <laughs> language, you'd still know what was going on. Yeah, although we wouldn't choose a foreign language film as part of it. God, no, that'd be too far. <laughs> anyway, right. We're done, aren't we, basically? We're done. We're not done, done. No, no, we're not fully done. Not fully done. Just half we, done. We've done the we're not first, well done. We're medium right. We've done the first eighth of this month's weekend of podcasts. <laughs> weekend of podcasts. Weekend of weekend podcasts. Of okay, we're going to take a break and then we're going to get into more analysis. Welcome back, dear listener, to um, uh, episode one of um, volume three of Weekend at Crombies. We've been discussing The Secret of My Success um, at some length, and uh, uh, we're going to now talk a little bit more about some of the themes and the analysis of the film and and also why I chose the film. I was going to say, before we do all that, we'll have to ask James, why did you choose The Secret of My Success? Well, Hugh, I have five words for you. The secret secret of my success. (laughs) And that's the reason why I chose it for this month's Weekend at Grumpy's. So I think in all seriousness, though, there is a uh, there is a there's a there's a I I suppose there's a set of criteria, I guess, which um, which if if employed would um, lend the film um, to a Weekend at Grumpy's kind of analysis, I guess, really. I think. I think, and you know, they don't all have to be ticked, but I think, I think the secret of my success does tick a lot of these boxes. Um, there's a nostalgia um, or a nostalgic element to the secret of my success. It is a mid to late '80s film. Um, it was successful and uh, commercially um, profitable film. Hugely so, wasn't it? Hugely successful, and um, kind of, it was. It was part of the, um, the the kind of Michael J. Fox canon, I guess, really, in the 80s, a yeah. good sequence of films that he was in that were really popular. And so growing up, I would have been nine or ten at the time. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I would obviously have um, enjoyed previous Michael J. Fox films and it would just be, oh, it's a new Michael J. Fox film. That's great. So, you know, it, it, it has that kind of nostalgic kind of feel to it. Um 
and because it has a nostalgic feel to it, there's it, it kind of holds a place in my heart, which you know perhaps on reflection it maybe does it it doesn't deserve, but nevertheless, well nevertheless is still important if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's also uh, a film which is very uh, cheesy. It's very on the nose. Well, cheesy maybe is the wrong word, but it's certainly on the nose. And I just thought. I actually thought to myself, of all the films I've chosen in the Weekend at Crombie's um, kind of process, this is probably the one that I think is most in tune with both of us, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so if there was a person called Hugh Evans or James Morgan... God forbid. Um, yeah, I mean, ugh, what a what a bastard. <laughs> he, he would. This would be his favourite film, probably. You know... <laughs> And, and, don't, and I, I suppose part, part of me here is, um, it's, despite its commercial success, it probably doesn't have the same, um, it doesn't hold the same um, cultural significance as some of Michael J. Fox's other films. No, certainly not. Like, like Back to the Future, for yeah. example, or that trilogy. Um, so, you know, it, I, I think it, it, it still warrants um, uh, a weekend at Crombie's analysis because although it although it is a big film and was big in the time, it's a lesser Michael J. Fox film, I think. Yeah, but do you know which films in 1987 it outgrossed? I do actually. Oh, I looked, this, I looked this up. I looked this up, and yeah. I was very surprised to see. I can't remember off the top of my the, head. The films that it was commercially more successful were than was RoboCop. Predator, oh, yeah, Lethal Weapon, and Dirty Predator. Dancing. Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing was less successful than The Secret of My Success. No. Because like Robocop, Predator, you understand they're 18s, they're, they're limited. Yeah, sure. Dirty yeah. Dancing wasn't as successful as The Secret of My Success. But Lethal Weapon as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I mean that says that says something about the star quality of Michael J. Fox, I think. It does, but there's also other again. We're looking at the analysis. We went again. Mrs. M and I had a good chat about why that would have been the case and, and yeah. what kind of film this was. So we'll come to that analysis. But you've, you've said why have. Do you want to kick off with some analysis then? Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose, and we've, we've touched upon quite a lot of the, 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 the feel of the film, I suppose. Yeah. But um, there's, for me, there's um, an interesting uh, dichotomy, I suppose, at the, at the centre of the secret of my success, personally, I mean. And it... It, it's it's hard to marry the two together, but I'm going to try anyway. The, on, on one side, the story is riddled with uncomfortable, very politically incorrect, very um, odd um, and uh, I think quite unsuccessful um, points of commentary around power dynamic and all this kind of stuff as well. But on the other side, you have what is effectively a rip-roaring um, rags to riches style comedy of manners yeah. and one which kind of drags you along in its in its kind of screaming um, path I guess really it's demented on one level in the sense that um, Brantley or Michael J Fox is I think amoral I think they're all I think everybody in the film is amoral they might have something to do with the 80s I don't know but every, every single individual in this film makes decisions that are totally amoral not immoral but amoral they have no concern or yeah. thought process about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it yes and so in any normal situation in any normal context in any normal film that would be a huge barrier to entertainment yes. and to engaging with the actual characters itself in the secret of my success 
it adds to the it adds to the it adds to the connection it adds to the entertainment flavor it adds to the 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 the, the willingness to root for um Michael J Fox even though he's obnoxious even though he's effectively the the quintessential republican he's the quintessential conservative party member if that makes sense he's he's a young conservative isn't he and yet there's something about him it's and it's Michael J Fox's charm absolutely yeah. you've got You've got Howard Prescott, who is again demented. Um, he is he is an he's 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 a uh, I mean, he's I don't know he's a chauvinist. Well, everybody's a chauvinist. That's what I'm talking about. Everybody's a chauvinist. Everyone is a sexual predator. Yeah. Everyone everyone is um, everyone is fundamentally driven by the the profit lust. Everyone is driven by. Um, success being simply about making money or the respect of power. Yeah, it's, not even, it's not even money, actually. I'm thinking about this no, now. No, because right, if you funny. think about a film like, say, Pretty Woman, which, again, is, is also kind of that yippee redemption movie, money mm. is, is very much the heart. You actually see money, you, you see the value of money, and you see the, what the absence of money can do. Yeah, this yeah. is all about power. It's no, they, no one... Again, he, though he lives in poverty, it's never seen as an issue. It's just it shows a sign of his struggle to raise himself yeah. up. Um, no one s- suffers from the absence of money. It's the absence of power or the absence of, of, the absence, of yeah, luxury yeah. or of, of um, yeah, privilege. But it goes, it goes, it goes further. It's absolutely about power. You're, you're right. But it goes further because the, the message. So, so okay. Everybody's demented. Everyone is amoral. Everyone is a sexual predator. Everyone is effectively in it for themselves, right? Yeah. Okay. That's they're all psychopaths, or they're all at the very least they're sociopaths. Let's, let's just leave it at that. Right the way down to the the the, the um, employees in the mailroom who are who are aggressive, uh, who are um, invariably. Um, I would I, the, the manic depressives. I would I would guess. I mean, the, the Fred Melrose is a manic depressive. Certainly, there is a very good. Um, um, was it the, his his boss, um, the male who called himself God? Um, yeah. Had there's a hilarious sequence where he's chasing um, Brantley round and round the building um, to to catch him out because he knows he's up to something. He can't work it out. But he's up to something. Um, but in fact, Brantley is doing his mail rounds and basically being a, a sufficient employer, an employee in the mail room. Now, there's no mm-hmm. reason why his his line manager wants to pursue him relentlessly other than just to cut the knife. To catch him out. <laughs> to catch so him he, out. So he's he, he's he's an egomaniac. He's a narcissist. He's his 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 line manager. Yeah. And he's not in it much, and he's a minor character. Yeah. So those those are the characters. There's also the message of the film, I think, which is effectively that the way that you succeed is. Um, and it's it's this whole kind of rags to riches, or it's the it's the way that people think. You know what? If you work hard, if you work hard, and every, it's the American dream. Work hard, everything will will happen to you. Yeah. You'll be successful if you just work hard. Right the way down to the theme tune. You know, the secret of my success is that I'm there, 24 hours a day. Yeah. That's that's the message basically. You know, if you're poor, work as hard as you like. Yeah. But because if you only if you work hard will you will you will you um. Will you be successful? And on top of that, there's no redemption in the film either. That's so exactly you... what I found out as well. Yes, the the moral lesson. The um, there's the, no moral lesson in the no, film. The, the uh, for again the, the the all is lost moment. It doesn't change his, his mind. He comes at the very start of the film. Brantley wants money and power and sex, <laughs> and oh, yeah. and at the end of it, and he, he gets, gets all his, of those things. He gets all those things, and he's happy. There's no yeah. moment of like I wanted to be successful in business, or but what I really wanted was to be with Christy. No, no, it's like yeah. I want all these things. I will relentlessly pursue them. I'll hit a few speed bumps, will make me feel sad, but then I'll get them all, and it did make me happy. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It is so, completely absence of any 
a narrative arc in 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 a character. A character <laughs> there's arc. no learning. There's no, no, there is no learning. It's, uh, it's, and, it's and this is all the characters as well. All the characters don't have any learning in them. So his um, Brant's relationship with Aunt Vera, right? I mean, it, 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 I'm not sure whether it's played for creeps or it's played for laughs. It's played for laughs, but effectively he's been he's been raped basically, and yet it gets him everything he wants. Yeah. Um, all of the executives are corrupt. All of them. And he's rewarded by becoming one of them. Yeah. The mail, the mailroom guy, Matt Mel- Mel- he, he, he hates suits. He's, he, he hates them. But at the end, he becomes one, right? Yeah. It's, it's almost like, you don't think too much about what the film is actually telling you. No. But, if you go with it, it's a hell of a ride. Absolutely. And it's really good fun. Yeah. Cause you can, and I hate myself for saying it. I feel dirty <laughs> for saying this. <laughs> But there is so much in it, and I don't know whether it's just a quintessential 1980s film that requires a lack of thought going into it. Yeah. Just sit back, turn your brain off, basically, watch it, soak in the on-the-nose songs, laugh at how ridiculous it all is, enjoy Michael J. Fox's charm, and he's got oodles of charm, yeah. and you'll come out of that thinking, you know what, I really like that film. Yeah, yeah. As girls think about comparables, um, look at something like, say, Working Girl, which is um, exactly which is is a, is a similar film of someone pretending to be um, a, a different person. Yeah. And but in that, that is full of again. Um, I remember Joan Cusack sets down with Melanie Griffith, and basically says, you know, you've got to stick true to who you are. You're leaving your people behind. You're losing your identity. And that's yeah. a bit. That's a bit more, you know, cuts cuts yeah. to the bone. And in the end, when she succeeds, the camera yeah. pans out, and she is one small window amongst a million anonymous windows. Yes, and, quite and, and, and you are left well, thinking, did she succeed? No, I don't quite. Um, but this is none of that. Hilly's in the private jet, and he's in his he's in his glad rags. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. At the end, they they go home in his private jet, don't they, to to Kansas again? And I think uh, object. Which is exactly what he said he would do. <laughs> Which is exactly what he said he would do, yeah. Objectively, and maybe even demonstrably as well, Working Girl is a better film. I oh, think, yeah. you know, I mean, but is it a more entertaining film? Am I more satisfied having watched it? No. Well, no. The thing. It's, it's more like a fairy tale in the sense that in a fairy tale, the characters don't grow. They have an adventure and they end. They end the way you thought it would. Um, yeah. But also, again, we were talking about this. It's why, again... Firstly, why it was successful, why it's enjoyable, and why you don't get movies like this anymore. It's kind of like, um, we thought, it's like a date movie. It's a date movie that you would, you know, it's not mm. part of a massive franchise, it's not a horror or an action. It's mm. the movie you'd go to in the 80s, because then again, telly was rubbish. There was four channels, and you were stuck about <laughs> So if you wanted to have a nice, you know, 90 minutes out on an evening out, to just sit back and enjoy something that was just fun, you'd watch this. And yeah. Almost, there's no need for that kind of stuff. Or maybe there is a need, but there's no demand for that in cinemas anymore. Um, and because everything's streamed, or you can do your own thing on mm. telly, so you don't mm. need that kind of that kind of outlet. But here was because he, he started as a sitcom star. You know, he's a very charming persona that doesn't almost challenge you. Um, in, no. a, in a way, Michael J. Fox, no. he's, he's he's great popcorn in in a in a nice sense of the word. Um, and so you go along and you get you watch the movie, you enjoy the songs, you laugh at the laughy bits, and then you go. And that's probably why it was very, very successful in its time. But obviously, it has no heft to carry it through. Where people say, "Let's revisit that in the same way." You'd say, "Let's watch Dirty Dancing." I remember that. Well, that got me. Yeah, exactly. And actually, yeah, you fit, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The secret of my success, I think, rides the zeitgeist of what the what audiences wanted in the mid to late 80s and it also rode the zeitgeist of the kind of cultural influence and and effect of that kind of reagan thatcher style of political viewpoint which was 
you know, there is no society. There is only the individual. Yeah. Growth is about profit and success is about ensuring that you work hard, you put a shift in, and then those that do work hard will be rewarded, whatever their background. Yes, although um, it, it is ironic that literally the only way he could walk into an office and everyone assumes he's in charge is he's a well-spoken white man. Um, like, had it well, been I, any I, other I, demographic, yeah, you couldn't I, have I mean, just I, said, I, I'm I, a new executive. I, yeah, yeah, and there's a, scene, there's a scene in that, obviously, at the start, which is played for laughs and which we've referenced, which is about not being able to be recruited because he's not a minority woman. Yeah. And now, the, the irony is, is, of course, is that the the film, which is bereft of um, uh, anyone of uh, an ethnic minority, yeah. <laughs> is is the reason why that kind of rule was implemented in the first yeah. place. But it's kind of said critically yeah. in, in, in some respects, like, which again... Yeah, why, why aren't they giving young Brantley a job? Because he's not a yeah, much... Exactly. Yeah, which, but, but again, it, 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 it goes against everything I kind of want in the kind of because, because it makes the caper possible, yeah. But also, actually, you mentioned... Yeah, the, laughing at that joke. Yeah. Why am I laughing at that joke? <laughs> it's well-delivered, uh, actually. The, it, the, the, the woman who delivers it, again, is the, the two interviewers went on to be character actors, and they're quite good. Yeah. And it, it, it goes further as well, because there's, there's a point at which um, I think I think it's um, uh, Melrose... I think it's Melrose who's talking to Brantley, saying, you know... Um, or, or it might have been, yeah, I think Smell was talking to Brantley saying, you know, if you got, if you got on, if you, if you basically went out with Christie, you'd, you'd, you'd be, you know, doing well in the business. You'd, you'd go well up the, um, the ladder of success. And I think, I think Brantley says something like, you know, you know what, for, for, on this, for this time, on this occasion, I, I want to do this myself. I want to get there myself. He was employed by Howard Prescott. Oh no, that was that was that was Vera. Vera said, "No, yeah." And here's the thing: yes, Vera said, "I'll make sure that Howard gives you a leg up." Um, oh, that's it. And he says, "I'm going to do it by myself." Yeah. But yeah, he's not. He was employed by his uncle, but all his contacts come through Vera, um, his paramour. Um, yeah. he, he he has no kind of yeah. He doesn't make it by himself. He makes it because Vera was the one that steered him through. Which she actually literally says at, some, at several points, saying, "I can steer you through these shark-infested waters the same way I steered Howard." So Vera yeah. is definitely established as a kingmaker who switched from Howard to Brantley, and that's where yeah. he's successful. But in his mind, he's done it all with his little pushpins and his charts, oh, yeah, yeah. and he's in his go-getting drive. Because yeah. even, even actually in that final scene, when um, he, he's uh, he's literally almost doing an impression of what the worst kind of yuppie is, because this is when he's talking to um. To, to, to Donald Davenport and the board and he's doing this kind of thing I want to help you Danny I really do let's all get this business together yes she and he's like he's zipping around and he's doing this kind of mini Gordon Gecko um, yeah. and yeah. It, it is like oh he's made it but he's also he's obnoxious yeah no I, I, yeah I totally agree but it and um, it, again I think it it kind of taps into that um, uh, like this this really kind of insidious um, view of successful executives that have made millions that presume that the reason why that they're successful is because they have worked hard and they've, they've built a business out of nothing. Whereas, you know, when you look at someone like Donald Davenport or the real life equivalent of someone like Donald Davenport, i.e. Donald Trump or maybe Richard Branson, for example. Yeah. They are, you know, Donald Trump said, you know, what did I do with my first million pounds that my father gave me? I set up Trump Towers. And you think, oh, OK, so you had a million million dollars to play with, uh, you know, Richard Branson. You know, it's all this kind of stuff as well. And yeah. you think, well, we're not talking about Alan Sugar here, are we? Yeah. You know? <laughs> we're talking about people who have serious money building up various individuals and individual businesses. Yeah. So it goes against everything. But again, it kind of doesn't matter. I, I, I was... Look, you know, it's it's hugely flawed, yeah. hugely flawed. It's it's a profoundly silly film. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it's like um, the, the the comparison with Working Girl is 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 a, is a good one because I think that you know 
The secret of my success is like it's it's a McDonald's, isn't it? It's junk food. Yeah. There's nothing nutritious about it, but it's tasty when you're eating it and you're really enjoying it. Whereas Working Girl is like, I don't know, quinoa salad. You know it's good for you, yeah. but you don't really look forward to it. And give, 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 yeah. Given the choice of the two up, DVDs, I would pick Secret of My Success to watch for a fun evening. Oh, definitely, um, definitely. Although, again, to come back to the fact you said again the, the diversity issue, um, yeah, it's a very white movie except for that first five minutes when he's seeing New York. It was like the um, the B roll of everyone in New York shows the diversity and the strangeness and the everything yeah. of New York. And as soon as they get into the business, everyone's in suits with nice haircuts and <laughs> um, the same demographic and. You yeah. know, all middle class, up middle class, white America, and it's it, it's it's gone. There's nothing else left. No, it's very it's whitewashed, isn't it? That's the yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, when they're in there. I mean, the the the, the scene with the most uh, number of black actors in it is the scene where he's on the phone to his <laughs> mum <laughs> and opening up at the the, the local um, kind of news store. That's true. Yes. I mean, that's it. You see, even, yeah, even in another world, Melrose would have been his sassy black friend. They didn't even get that far. Oh no, it's not mannequin. <laughs> Do you know what? I was going to mention Mannequin as a film similar again. If you'd like this, you'd also enjoy because Mannequin is also a, again a bit more integrity, but it's basically about you know a person becomes um, very successful in yeah. business and <laughs> yeah. But um, it's, again, it's got that yuppie feel to the yep, onwards and upwards. If you work hard, you will get so commercially successful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I can see why the film was very successful. I can see why its box office takings was 110 million dollars. Yeah. From a twelve million um, dollar film, so it took ten times its cost. So you know, it, I mean, you can tell that they don't even spring for a jet. You don't even see a jet that he flies back in. You just see, I think, airport lights. Yeah, yeah. And, but, it, know, and his it, reputation of him on a farm is literally a very tight shot of Michael J. Fox digging a hole, and that was their <laughs> Kansas farm. Yeah, yeah. So, but in, in in some respects, due to its own success, it isn't really a weekend at Crombie's film in, in in many ways. But what I think sets it apart, and what I think makes it a weekend at Crombie's film, the kind of contradiction there is, it's very. It was an incredibly successful film, which I think because of its emptiness, because of its lack of nutrition. Now, when you look back on it, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have that cultural significance. It doesn't hold sway like a film like Working Girl might. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that Working Girl is considered one of the best films of the 1980s, etc., etc., but it's held in higher esteem. If this was both a successful film commercially and a successful critical film in the long term, yeah. this wouldn't be a weekend at Crombie's film. But it was not. It was it was critically. Um, and it wasn't panned on release, but it, it was mixed. And I just think, you know, it's lost to the annals of time. I think it, we know it because we grew up in the 80s yeah. and we're nerds and would have watched films like this. And went to the video a lot. That's, it's, I mean, it's, it's also, it's also a, it's a very safe video. It's a film you'd give to your teenage kids knowing it was a safe pair of hands. It was, um, again, I'm, I'm going to veer over this now. Is, um, yeah, the, the Auntie Vera, um, like she's played by Margaret Whitten, um, yeah. who is uh, I think she was a Broadway actress, and you can tell by the the way that she performs. Yeah, she, she has a. I don't know her from many other films. No, say. no, she's not been. She was at her. She was in Major League, which um, might come up in, oh, a, okay. in, in a future episode because that's a very weekend at Crombie's film. But she, um, yeah, she again, she hits the, the plot like a wrecking ball. She's uh, she's so much fun when she arrives, and every scene subsequently she's in, there's a, a huge presence to her. Um, yeah. That is is so contrasted by the absence of screen charisma in Christie uh, or, or Helen Slater. Yeah, oh, totally. uh, and, and I, I would add Howard Prescott as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's very. I, I think I think 
if, if I mean, other other than its kind of political machinations, I think one of the other flaws of the film is that two of the four major characters in it, Howard Prescott and Christy Willis, are not particularly engaging characters. Yeah. But Vera Pemrose and Bradley Foster are, and that balances it out. Yeah. And they now, have they have a really good chemistry, and Margaret Fox are really good on screen. Again, there's the, the initial sequence which is really memorable. Um, there's this, again the scene where she's basically she's singing to him and then and disrobing him. It is hilarious because she is it's, it's fast. Isn't it? it's yeah, at this point, yeah, Brantley, Carlton, Carlton Brantley is um is very nervous about getting caught because he's just outrun his his line manager to start with. He thinks <laughs> he's in his uncle's office and his uncle's going to turn back. He's in a relationship with with Christie, so he doesn't want to be with Vera anymore. He's trying to do all these things, but she is just wooing him with her song. And he's, he's, this is what I quite, because um, we were watching this thinking, why is this so funny? Because she's chasing up the window, taking his clothes off as he tries to wriggle out of it. Mm. Um, and I thought, why is this funny? Because she's basically abusing him in, his, in, in a position of power. And he's, you know, if, if it were reversed, if the, yeah, the, the, the executive were, were chasing the, 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 um, the young female around the office, it would be hideous yeah. to watch. I think it's partly yeah, because it, it, it you know, there's, be there's a great deal of charm and chemistry in that. I mean, the, the, and also it's got some of the best lines in the movie. Like she, she slams him against the wall, saying, "I'm going to have you for lunch." And he just whimpers, "Can I get you a ham and cheese?" <laughs> it's just, and it's it's full of things like that. Um, and even like he he tries to get rougher, saying, "Vera, I'll stop you." She just takes his little finger and wriggles him and flips him on his back, so he's he's helpless in front of her. Um, but it's uh, I think it's funny partly because. In almost every other sequence, um, Carlton or Brantley are like cock of the walk, even whether he's a mailman or whether he's Carlton, the executive. Yeah. He's walking around the office and he's flirting with everybody. The fact he's desperate yeah. in love with Christie doesn't stop him from just sidling up to any woman in the office and yeah. laying on the charm. And he's so confident and so cocky. And he meets Vera, who is the one woman who, even though she is charmed by him, can't be sort of charmed by him. Um, she's, she's immune to yeah. any of his wheedles because she just wants what she wants and she's chasing after him. Um, he ter- yeah, she terrifies him. Yeah, um, and so she's loving it. She's having the t- she can have the time of her life, um, and it's just hilarious to watch. And again, I, I, it's a strange thing. I don't know if this was the original thing where they like Christie was dropped in as a, um, mm. a late addition, but there is a great movie to be had from Vera and Brantley getting it together because <laughs> they're such a good team. And again, yeah. she, she can, she can give him the secret of success. She can, she said, she knows how to how to schmooze the country club and get him the mm. contacts he needs. And I thought that there's a. Because there's a, there's a funny story in that to be had too. Um, but maybe, You're right, there is actually, and it would be a, it would be a simpler match, plot. Yeah. Well, because it gets quite. I mean, I wouldn't say it's complicated, yeah. but it gets quite convoluted, doesn't it? Yeah, you really don't really believe he's in love with Christie for one thing, apart from the, the water fountain notwithstanding. Um, you you're you're <laughs> told that he loves Christie, but you don't believe it compared no. to the fun he has with Vera. Um, but also there's a what was it? There's um that's it. The, the <laughs> Even though the uh, you know the cameraman did the the water fountain shot and the uh, and the Princess Diana mm. swoosh and everything, yeah. you do sense yeah. that either the director or the cinematographer or somebody was having a lot more fun with Margaret Whitney, was a lot more interested in shooting Margaret Whitney because See, well yes well, she's a she, but the thing is and I think that's partly because she's she's a she's an anti-hero isn't she yeah. she's she's a villain but she's also the hero of the film almost she's she's that larger than life yeah. character. That you, I, I want to, I want to watch a film about her. Yeah, yeah, but not just that. It's almost like in the the, the way she shot because she often wears these enormous hats that kind of cut cut her face off. So all you see is the lower half of her quite angular angular face, <laughs> yeah. and it's 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 constantly shown her like pursing her lips when she's being predatory or things like that. Mm. And it's the the way the camera kind of 
the right chose her. Whereas Christie is definitely very placed as in bump. Here is a blonde, attractive woman that he loves, and she is the she's the prize he'll win. Um, mm. And it was interesting that maybe even the director decided it was a more interesting story to be had, um, not following yeah. the conventional route. Well, I have to say, if if Howard Prescott was played not by uh, Richard Jordan, but by say John Lithgow, uh, I, you know, and because uh, that is a role that is that's tailor made for someone like John oh, Lithgow, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would now that would have been absolutely fantastic. That would have been fun. And if Christie had been played by, I don't know, it's such a terrible character in the first place. They just lopped off Christie and just had him. Because <laughs> yeah, just I don't think any I don't think any actor would have been able to add the heft. Or, or the the interest to that really, no, you know, it's yeah, an awful not, role. It's, it's yeah, a, she's it's just, a thankless she's just awful wet. role. Yeah, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a shame, really. But there you go. What can you do? Um, but again, let's uh, look at one last thought about this. Again, talking about again, this is part of because Michael J. Fox doesn't have an enormous filmography. And he has no, he, he, he has a huge yeah. hit to him. Um, yeah. And this, I guess, would count as one of his bigger films, which seems strange because it was so essentially light. Um, but yeah, it, it does, it does yeah. feel like, again, watching that, I'm thinking, it feels like what you'd call the least viable product, um, or the minimum viable product as a vehicle for Michael J. Fox. It's like, Michael J. Fox is big, we need him to star in something, mm. um, we don't, we don't, don't make it too, you know, dangerous or edgy, just have him lay on the charm and have goof around, and we'll knock it out yeah. for, ten, for 10 million and we'll make a fortune, and it feels like that's what it was. So it could, yeah, I mean, there aren't. I don't think there are many people that could have played the role as charming as he did. I mean, perhaps you know, perhaps someone like Tom Cruise might have been in contention for the role, uh, no, but, but uh, it, you know, not. It wouldn't have been the same, really. You know, well, it, cast it, Eric Stoltz in this, and all of a sudden you've got a very, <laughs> very nice. You do have a different movie. film, yeah. Um, but you, you know, you are right about the, um, the 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 extensive filmography of Michael Jeffords or lack thereof, and you, you think of him as being a, a um, someone who is you know one of the pillars of eighties and nineties. Films, basically. Yeah. But, but I mean, realistically, you're you're maybe talking about ten films that he made. What are you that, talking about other than Back to the Future, though? Well, so three Back to the Future films. You've probably yeah. got Teen Wolf. Oh yeah, um, Teen Wolf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, The Secret of My Success, which I'm not even sure that I would put in that bracket. Yeah. Really. Um. I mean, maybe not even ten. Maybe five. Five yeah. or six films that are re- that have cemented him. Uh, in, in, as a cultural icon of, uh, that's carried on to this day. Yeah. I mean, maybe Back to the Future is the big, obviously, is the big one. Yeah. But yeah. Doc Hollywood, maybe the hard way with James Woods. But then but, he, at the same time yeah, that this film but, came out, he was in another yuppie film called Bright Lights Big City that yeah, was a lot edgier. Nothing. But it was it was all about getting cocaine addiction or, or this kind of thing. It was much more like an ed, you know, let's tell the real story. But, but, but that's not that's not Michael J. Fox though, is it's it? Exactly why we're not watching Bright Lights Big City. We are watching The Secret of My Success. It, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, and it, basically from from the early 90s his film career had pretty much stopped no he was in a few he's in the frighteners uh, and mars attacks but like you know the frighteners is a is a relatively small film in comparison he's got a minor role in mars attacks and i know that he moved into television again he started in tv and he went back to tv as well yeah. i think it was in spin city wasn't he Quite yeah, yeah, he was the lead in spin city then he'll so take over yeah i'm not saying that he wasn't successful uh, um but it it i don't know he probably had six or seven years right at the top but you, you, you would think there should have been at least 
another half dozen Secret of My Success like films <laughs> lined up for him to just knock out. Either again, it's maybe just the film taste change because you're coming towards the end of the eighties. Yeah. There's there's a different type of genre that's taking over yeah. and this kind of stuff. But um, well, again, they didn't really make films like this in the nineties. No. And and I suppose there, there's the dif- there's the difference there between someone like Michael J. Fox and say Tom Cruise, who is still a massive. Yeah. Um, no, I know that Michael J. Fox has had health issues as well, which which you know challenges what he's able to do. I think he's got Tom Cruise is functionally immortal. <laughs> Tom Cruise, well, that's Scientology for you, isn't it? <laughs> he's, he's, he's obviously sold his soul to the devil, but but I think partly Michael J. Fox, I don't think is a sex symbol in the same way that Tom Cruise is. No, he again, he was always a teen symbol. I think I'd watched Secret of My Success because my big sister and her friends had grabbed it for their slumber party. Um, yeah, exactly. So Michael J. Fox is is safe and unthreatening. Yeah. He's charming. And he's your buddy. Tom Cruise is, he has sex appeal, right? I mean, that's why he was one of the biggest stars of the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. He was right? always I mean, intense. Still Even, you know, all the right moves, um, yeah. risky business. Uh, it's, it's, still, it's, still, it's still intense. It's, he, he's yeah. a young, charming uh, teenager, but he's an intense one. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, it, in, some, in some respects, I, I would have liked to have seen more secret of my success type films for michael j fox really yeah, yeah. um and I, I know that you know there was a there was a point there was a point in the in the late 80s and early 90s where he tried he tried different things to varying degrees of success so bright lights and big city wasn't success at all casualties of war with um sean penn was more successful okay um but you know it, it didn't change it didn't change his career like he had hoped it would change his career I believe he was also the voice of Stuart Little. Oh, he was. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, which is all good. It's all good. He, uh, he's, he's, the, the first one's all right. The, 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 the two sequels are pretty poor. Well, how many films unite Hugh Laurie, Gina Davis and Michael J. Fox? <laughs> well, that's true. Well, yeah. And Bob Hoskins. Was he Bob Hoskins in this? No, he wasn't. <laughs> I do remember, actually, the reason I this went to mind was there was an interview with Hugh Laurie um, before his, his massive famous house when he was yeah. talking about, um, so why are you doing Stuart Little 2? Well, the company told me it was really cheap because the mouse was already in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that in a very Hugh Laurie way. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> um, so we, we, we've, we've, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with regards to the kind of themes of the film? I think we've kind of maybe de- dealt with that a lot. Is there anything else that, the, that springs to mind? There isn't, but I, uh, I, will, I will mention the amount of montages I counted. <laughs> oh, yeah. The arrival in New York City montage. Yeah. There's the I'm looking for a job montage. There's <laughs> the I've got my job in the mailroom and I'm working very hard montage. There's the Auntie Vera wants to seduce me montage. There's the I'm very sad montage. There's the I'm in love with Christy montage. There's the we're networking in the gazebo montage. There's the the best gazebo guy gazebo. There's the everyone's chasing around the bedrooms montage. And there's the I'm now successful montage. (laughs) I believe it had more montages than Rocky Four, which I believe was a film that was all montage. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't far off all montage. No, it's it's like it's like a music video in that regard, which is probably why it's so successful too. Yeah. Well, imagine. How, well, the director was a former choreographer as well, so that, uh-huh. that, that suggests that. But imagine how much plot you ha- is condensed into this film to have about twenty montages in it. Imagine how much time you save writing the dialogue or any kind of progression <laughs> when you can just have a montage. It's like, how do I convey he's sad? I, I could write it. Or I could just play the sad montage song <laughs> and have him walk around a bit. 
Seems like the world is upside down. <laughs> you said it better than me, Huey Lewis. <laughs> Are there any? Are there any other? Um, oh, as, actually, there's one other thing I wanted to mention before we move on, and it's a minor point, but okay. the um, I want you to draw your attention to the cinematographer, okay. who is Carlo De Palma, okay. um, and Carlo De Palma, you, you know, he's not a household name. I will, I will, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, attest to, but. Um, <laughs> He's not a household name, but he is uh, he is the cinematographer of um, one of my favourite films of all time, which is Blow Up by um, uh, Michael Antonioli. Um, and he's also the cinematographer, uh, the, well, the erstwhile cinematographer of a lot of Woody Allen films. So Hannah and Her Sisters, The Manhattan Murder Mysteries, Radio Days, Deconstructing Harry, Husbands and Wives, Bullet Over Broadway, um, Mighty Aphrodite. So he's, you know, he's a... He's a very, very well-respected cinematographer. Red Desert as well by Antonioni is a classic kind of Italian-type films. Um, And I think that kind of shows through a little bit. So very early on in the film, when you have those montages and you have the sequences of um, the the big buildings, the shiny, the shiny, um, the buildings that all the men walking across the, 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 the bridge with the suits. That's, you know, that's him, right? That's, that's not the director. That's the cinematographer doing that. It's that look and feel of the film. And it's shiny. It's sparkly. It gets that kind of eighties essence really well in there. So a little, little, a little, um, a little nod to Carlo De Palma there, who I think is a, a very good cinematographer. Very good. Okay. Um, any other films? I know we've mentioned Working Girl. Yes, I uh, we mentioned Mannequin, which is probably of the, yeah. it has the same feel, if not the same kind of vibe to it. Yeah. I mean, this so we're was... on the same we're on the same page here because I, I I was going to mention Risky Business, which you've also mentioned as well. Yeah. Which again is it's a very different film. It's quite a, it's a much darker film, but it's one of those films which I don't think has a lot of redemption in it and is very creepy in its politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd suggest in terms of again comedy of manners, um, general farce around eighties business. I'd go for the um, the one the Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin one, Big Business. Oh, good call. Because um, that again, they they play identical twins, not of each other, but they play two sets of identical twins. That I was going to say that. <laughs> That'd be a stretch for Babs. Um, the the Bette Midler <laughs> is two twins. Lily Tomlin is two twins. They get mixed up and they go to the city as two country bumpkins and two businessmen, and and comedy ensues. But that's uh, that kind uh, of like, um, oh my goodness, everyone's coming and going, and the, and it ends in business. Because again, we don't know we don't know what the business is, but it's business. <laughs> right, that's very good actually. Something I'll have to um. I'll have to refresh my memory about it. I know of it. I think I've seen it, but I can't remember literally anything about it. Oh, it's quite funny. Yeah. So, I think there we are. There we are. That's the, the analysis done of uh, The Secret of My Success. There's any um, as, shuffle as, as, board papers. Uh, <laughs> call in the auditors and find out what scores they'll be given. <laughs> Welcome back as we go into the final furlong of The Secret of My Success, our first of season three. Uh, we'll give our scores of disembodied floating crumbie heads as we always do. James, would you like to lead off? This was your choice. Yeah, so um, I... Uh uh, we've, we've, we've extensively discussed this. The Secret of My Success is, 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 I mean, dare I say it's wildly entertaining if you turn your brain off a little bit, which I think is what you have to do when you're watching a late 80s Michael J. Fox vehicle. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, as I say, there's literally no nutrition in it. Um, but it does sweep you along in its in its in its own kind of sense of grandiose absurdity, which which I liked a lot. Um, I'm I'm torn a little bit because 
there is also a lot about the message of the film, which is really not, it's not just disturbing. It's quite despicable in many ways as well. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I've mentioned it. It doesn't really detract from the film. In many ways, it makes it odd that I find the film more entertaining as a result. Maybe there's something illicit about it that, that is the elixir of that kind of, oh, you can't touch this. It's, it's bad for your politics. It's bad for your, for your soul, as it were. But nevertheless, you're going to have to watch it. And I think based on the fact that I, I truly can't quite get rid of that sense of, um, m- m- moral, um, kind of moral one-upmanship moral kind of overlook of the film i'm I'm going to have to give it three disembodied crombie heads i'm I'm teetering on four because i can't deny that it's very entertaining and i can't deny that the conversation we've had has been um entertaining as well but it's a high-end three but it's a three nevertheless interesting interesting okay so my turn now I think I came to the same conclusion as you. I it, it's riddled with flaws. Um, again, morally, structurally, that again, half the cast are generally not very good. But again, but it's it's very again again half half the lead cast. There's loads of lovely supporting roles in it. But it's um, it's very you can't deny that I ended I finished the film very happy. I felt very entertained. Um, and if again you've got to give it a, a both you know how does this fare as a film in its quantity score but how do you feel at the end of it so I'm going to come up to a three um, I was on the edge oh. but I think this is a three um, yeah. and I'm, I'm happy from the basis of what I got from it and how I felt after it it's a three for me very good that's very good indeed uh, I, 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 yeah, I think I think we, we, we come from a similar place I, my feeling is you know, I've used the analogy of junk food and, and obviously when you're eating junk food it's the best thing ever it's, it's an hour afterwards where you feel a bit guilty and a bit overstuffed and you need some water because you're dehydrated and you feel a bit rubbish it's that kind of feel when you're eating it Oh, give me some more. Yeah, I'll, uh, give me the chow mein. Yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a Big Mac on that as well. Give me the egg fried rice. It's, yeah, or oh, pile it on MSG. It's, it's an MSG film. That's what it is. This is a disturbing um, insight into your eating habits here. <laughs> you're gonna get a headache at the end of it. You are, but yeah, you'd have a hard time defending it as your desert island film. But it's very enjoyable to sit down and watch. It is. It is. Um, so obviously, dear listener, um, we would heartily recommend. Um, a, a, a secret of my success evening this week. Should you wish to uh, to partake of some of the um, the the junk food nourishment, and that's the but, thing. Anyone I've mentioned it to who mem- who knows the film have have lit up and I've said I think I'm doing a secret of my success. Oh, have you? Fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it fun. It's it's com- it, in some ways it's completely forgotten and yet fondly remembered. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, no, I, no, yeah. Would, no one would say, you know, no one of, again of our generation would say, I'm going to grab a film. What shall I get? I'll get the secret of my success. I enjoyed that. But if someone said, I've got the secret of my success, shall we watch it? It's like, you, yeah, let's watch it. On. Yeah, let's yeah, crack open the tinnies. Let's stick it on. <laughs> the odd thing is, I, I can remember all the tinnies. Wipe the chow mein from your front. Sweep up the <laughs> burger packets. <laughs> I can remember almost every plot point from the film as well. That's the weird thing. Like a lot of other films, I have a kind of nostalgic connection to uh, are lost in the, the the kind of milieu of my brain cells but the secret of my success even the theme tune i could pretty much recite verbatim when it came on really weird us now, eh? really weird anyway we, we've done this episode we have it's finished it's done it's done 
It's done. What what we all want to know is what the um, the film for February's weekend at Quimby's is going to be. And it's your choice, Hugh. It's my your choice. first February pick. Indeed. Uh, so yes, we, we reversed the roles, and I thought, well, I'll take advantage. So I'll pick something seasonal. You know, I'll, I'll pick a, I guess, a Valentine's Day movie. And then, um, but then again, oh. then events. I'm afraid, sad events took over, and I, I threw that out the window to pick for a film that had more meaning. Um, it's it's it, it was on my list as a weekend at Crombie's film, but the, uh, you'll you'll know why that uh, I picked it when I say that we reviewing Eric the Viking next month. Ah, Eric the Viking, directed yes, by again the, the the late Terry Jones, um, which is what threw yeah. it to the foremost of my mind. I tried to think I'll never pick it because I'll never be um, objective about it because it's too too raw. But I thought actually it's everything I consider a weekend at Crombie's film to be. Mm. We'll talk about that next week when we review it. Yeah, and um, I think if, if Weekend at Crumbies existed, it probably exists because of films like Eric the Viking. So why not? That's what I say. And, Indeed. you know, you don't have to be objective. That's not the point. <laughs> We're so not objective because we just scored the Supermass Success 6 out of 10 floating Crumbies. <laughs> Which, if we look back over the previous 24 films, outranks a hell of a lot of them. <laughs> it does. Although it doesn't outrank Condor Man. Does it not? You know, which we which we scored the same. Oh, that, that tells you something. That, you know, that tells you a lot. We're devoutly middle brow, aren't we? That, that's us. You know, that should be the name of our podcast. Devoutly middle brow. Devoutly middle brow. The yeah, middle brows. The middle brows. The mono brows. The mono brows. Speak for yourself. Yes. Well, well this is where you are, sign off. This is where I sign off. <laughs> Why are you going to stay up a few more hours? No, no, I was going. You, to... you have a chat to our listeners. <laughs> I was going to. Um, I was going to uh, do your catchphrase at the end, but it, it just wouldn't have the same kind of ring to it. Okay. Okay. Well, then I will wish you all a very happy and peaceful weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. <laughs> was he in Midsummer Murders? No. That was me pretending he's British again, see. I see. Well, well, again, as as we've established, um, who, uh, not Clark Gregg, Clark Paul, Paul Gregg, Greg Clark, um, Lester, Clark Peters, Clark Peters, Clark Peters was in Midsummer Murders last week. Um, having yeah. seen him in a very young role in uh, in Outlander, he appeared. This in, is it. Yeah. Uh, Outland, in I think. Outland. Okay. I think this we're is, digressing. This is, this is for the dedicated few <laughs> where we go through our, our past podcasts. Picking out very minor character actors and when they've been in Midsummer Murders. 